And good morning, Calvary. And good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Um, that was a, an enjoyable time of worship this morning. And we're doing an acoustic set to kind of remind us um, that we need to be uh, stripped back a little bit to remind us why we worship and just kind of change it up. That was not Chris's choice. Um, he, he was told that we were doing that, so no one blame him if you didn't like it. And the other set will come back. If you did like it, it was all his idea. We're going to set him up well. And we're glad that Chris and Brittany and their family are, are joining us as well. And we're excited about VBS. Um, VBS is an exciting time this week. If you're participating in VBS, we want you to know we're praying for you. If, if you are leading, we're praying for you. If you're doing snacks, we invite you all to pray with us. And it is an exciting time, but let's be very clear why we do all of this. Why we hired a new worship pastor. Why we do VBS. Why we gather. It is for a singular purpose, and that is to worship. We want the children to worship. We want to remind ourselves to worship. And I think sometimes we can lose sight of that through the routine of what we go through. And sometimes we as the church can even get caught up in it. And, and we're going to look today at a passage. We're going to start a new series called Upgrade. And the idea is that we always feel like we have to upgrade. We always have to, but spoiler alert, it's really about contentment, Okay. Upgrade is the fool's goal that we buy into, thinking that that's the meaning of life. But what we really need to do is be content with the life we have. So if we're going to look in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. We're going to start in verses 2c, believe it or not, through 5. 1 Timothy 6, 2c through 5. And Paul's writing a young pastor, and he's challenging him with these words. Teach and encourage these things. And if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Paul is writing to them. And there are some who are teaching and have the appearance of being teachers. They have the appearance of being followers of God. And he's warning them that just because the person says the name of God does not always mean that they're actually teaching and proclaiming about God. The words he uses there, teach and encourage, are the key verbs of this passage. And he starts three through five with these negative things. They're conceited. They understand nothing. They have interest. They want to dispute. They want to slander. They have evil suspicions. And they're always doing these things for their own gain, their own understanding. And, and I was a college minister for 13 years, so let me explain what this looks like. As a college minister, there was always this freshman guy. It was always a freshman and always a guy. And they would come in. All the women laughed. I don't know why. They would always come in. And they would sit across, and sometime after one of the sermons or one of the messages they would hear, they would come and make an appointment with me. Or sometimes they would just drop by my office, and they'd say, uh, Daniel, I really appreciate you giving this message, but we need to discuss your theology a little bit because it's wrong. And I go, oh, really? Tell me, tell me why my theology is wrong. And they would say and begin to lay out all the thoughts of why they thought this part was wrong or that part was wrong or this part was wrong or that. And, and I would just sit there and I would listen to them. And I go, I, I'll tell you what. This was always my response. I will listen to what you have to say. Because I know that part of my theology can be wrong at any given moment. But are you willing to listen 
that part of your theology might be wrong. And usually they would go, no. I go, why? Because my theology is not wrong. And I'd always remind them that's a dangerous place to be. The unfortunate reality is it's not just freshman college guys that have this thought. Sometimes it's in 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 70-year-olds. Sometimes it's all around us. Sometimes we can become arrogant in our faith. And, and when we do so, it's no longer about theology. By the way, theology, theos, is God. Ology, study of, the study of God. And true theology always points people to God. If it doesn't point people to God, it's not theology. At that point, it's, it flips into Danielology or insert your nameology. It's the study of what I believe, and, and it's really not what I believe. Do you realize that your life is not really geared up and centered around what you believe? But rather what God has said to believe. And I'm wondering today if we could just abandon ourselves enough to ask God, what do you want me to understand? What do you want me to believe? And help me to go there. He's teaching them to be careful. Because it's not just people out in the world that will slander the name of God. But sometimes there's wolves in sheep's clothing among us. People who have good intentions and don't even realize they've slipped away from really pursuing after God and think they've arrived and want to tell the world how holy they are. And yes, even those who use it for material gain. The most common example of the people who use it for material gain are the name it and claim it kind of preachers. You know the name it and claim it kind of preachers? These are the ones that you can usually find at about three in the morning, and they say something like the following. If you really believe, send in a thousand dollars, and I'll give you a prayer cloth, and when you have that prayer cloth, you're going to be wealthy. That's great. Don't buy that. Literally, it's a purchase. It's a thousand dollars. You're buying a prayer cloth for a thousand dollars. But more important than buying the prayer cloth, don't buy the theology because it's not really theology. The unfortunate reality is many people subtly buy into this and they want to believe it. Believe it. And have you ever thought to yourself, why do these name it and claim it preachers get wealthy? Why can they ask for money for a jet and get it? Because they succeed because many people desire to hear that message. That following Jesus will always lead to cake and ice cream, roses and parades, and balloons. Who doesn't like balloons? Maybe even confetti and glitter. If you like glitter, if not, then not glitter. <laughs> There's two quotes I want to share with you this morning. We're going to get a little negative, then we're going to swing it around positive. And I want to warn you ahead of time, this is part one going into part two next week. So you're going to want to come next week because it's like the end of the Back to Future one. If you're those of you who remember that, you're like, wait. There's more. Shouldn't there be more? Yes, it's next week, okay? So here's the two negative quotes I want to start with. Here it goes. Every Christian is at some point tempted to imagine that the promptings of his own selfish ambition are the voice of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is at some point tempted to imagine 
that the promptings of their desires are the Holy Spirit telling them to do something. You should really get that promotion. I don't know if God wants me to. Yes, my desire is this. So that's clearly the Holy Spirit telling me I should go after this promotion, even though it means I'll never be at home with my kids. Yes, I should date her. The Holy Spirit is definitely telling me to date her because she doesn't know the Lord, but I can show her the Lord. And so we twist and we turn and we, we rationalize and we justify our excuses away to try to find a way to do what we want. And we're all tempted to do that. And another reason we're tempted to do that is because here's the second quote I want to read to you from the same interpreter's Bible. There is a type of Christian who imagines that his prosperity is an evidence of his righteousness. Do you do realize the fallacy of that, right? There are people who will today die because they're following Jesus in parts of this world. Because they showed up for a worship service and somebody's going to kill them. You may never hear about it on the news. You may never see it. It may never get out, but it happens all the time. There are martyrs who will die all the time for their faith. It doesn't happen down the road. It doesn't happen in West Lafayette, but it happens all the time. And so we can't buy into this fallacy that says, if I follow Jesus, my life is going to be great, and I'm going to get everything I want. That's just not the way it works. And here's the problem. When we imagine a faith like we desire, we are replacing God for who he is with what we, who we want him to be. And when we do so, we not only shortchange God, but us as well. In other words, our imaginations take us to a place of a life that we think we should have instead of resting in the life that God desires us to have. Now, here's the, the problem. We're not God. And so when we chase after a life that we think we should have, instead of resting the life that God desires us to have, we're replacing God's best plan for our life with our own really bad idea. And so I want to ask you this question today. When was the last time that you really rested in God? I mean, really were content? What does that look like? Well, it's VBS week. So in honor of VBS week, I'm going to tell you a story of my childhood, okay? Daniel's going to tell on himself. Fun story. Daniel doesn't know why he's speaking in third person. He just does that sometime. When Daniel, I'm just kidding, keep going with it, was at church. Back in the church I grew up in, the church had a church library. Yes. And it actually had books. It wasn't just computers. It was a library. It was a place that people used to go to to read books, okay? And the church library had all these books, and it had, we had a church librarian. She was a sweet lady. had been in the church for many, many years. And she desperately wanted the kids to come in and get excited about reading. And get excited about reading some good books about faith and good books about God. And so she created this idea. It was a summer. She was going to do this reading plan where she created a competition. And the kid that read the most books and got a mom or dad to sign off on the signature got a pizza party. And got to bring a friend. I was like all in right there, you know. First of all, it's a competition. I may be a little competitive. Second of all, pizza party. I was like seven. I was like, yes. So I started reading. 
And when you signed up, you got a, like a ruler thing. I don't remember exactly what was a ruler thing, but it was your name on it. And you got to, uh, to, to go in every Sunday and you'd bring in your slip and she would make a big deal. Of, oh, you read six books. Bump up the six books. And I don't remember how long it was. Let's say it was six weeks. It could have been eight weeks. It could have been four weeks. It seemed an eternity. But every week I would go in there and I would see all the other kids' names in there. And their little slacker names were all the way down here, right? And Daniel Barry's name was like right here. And by the end of the, the time, I was like so far ahead of everyone else. I was like, you all can might as well quit reading because this pizza party belongs to none other than the redheaded wonder Daniel Barry, right? I was going to go in, and I remember going in that last day, and I remember walking in there, and I remember walking in and seeing my name on this ruler type thing and expecting it to be the highest one up there. And I remember going, what? As this young girl, I don't remember who the girl is. I don't even know if she went to church there. She did. (laughs) I just don't remember who it was. Walked in on the last day and turned in her books on the last day. I didn't know that was legal. And whatever my amount was, she was like three more books than me. And I was mad. And I remember going, I didn't do this competition to read. I didn't do this competition to learn more about God. I wanted a pizza party. Okay, that's a kid's illustration, right? But do we ever do that? I'm going to serve in the VBS because I want everybody to think what a great Christian I am. I'm going to bring snacks, but I want everybody to tell me that I brought the best snacks for the volunteers, right? By the way, I love all the snacks, so I'm not, if you bring snacks, thank you. An apple pie would be great. I'm just saying, okay? But through all of this, so often what we do in our life is we don't realize how selfishly motivated we are. And yes, that can infiltrate the church. We have the most people. We have the best lights. We have the most relevant way to deliver the message of God. We have the most enthusiastic speaker. Who cares what he teaches? We have the best women's ministry. We have the best men's ministry. We have the best small groups. We have, and it all becomes centered about us. And let us be real. And let us be transparent on a day when it's raining and the people didn't all come, right? It's not about how many people fill up the seats. It's about worshiping God. And if we fill this room three times over and have people standing up to where the fire marshal is saying, hey, you can't come in anymore and we don't worship God with our hearts and with our lives, then let them shut the doors. Because what we are about is exalting the name of the one who's given us everything. Teach and encourage them these things. And the problem is we get caught up with the love of stuff. We're going to cover this verse again in a few weeks, but 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul writes this. The love of money is the root of all evil. And Paul uses money in this instance as a, a sign to be uh, of a warning of your heart's going astray, that you're not worshiping God. And for Paul, wealth was not viewed as an opportunity or even a privilege, but Paul viewed wealth as a peril. So was he saying wealth is bad? No. 
Good news. I don't find anywhere in the Bible it says that wealth is bad. You know what it says there? The love of money. When you love something, it becomes your treasure. When you love something, it's, it's something you're willing to sacrifice and pursue. When you love something above God, that's when it becomes dangerous, ungodly about you. When you love the idea of love, that can be dangerous. Am I saying that you should be single all the rest of your life? No. But if the idea of getting married is preeminent to following God, check yourself. Some of you said before you wreck yourself. I heard you. If the idea of going on a vacation, which is a good thing, right? Becomes the preeminent thought that drives your force. You, you come back from vacation, your next thought is, I can't wait to go on the next vacation. Then the love of that vacation is a dangerous thing. Are vacations good? Yes. What do you love? What is the struggle? It doesn't have to be this way. The world, I love this. One commentary describes the idea of what we love is what we desire to be cuddled up with. Some of you guys are like, I don't desire to be cuddled up with nothing, all right? It's what makes you feel strong. Is that a better way to put it? It's what makes you feel safe, protected. It may, it's what makes you feel at home, at peace. It's what do you want to cuddle up with? What do you want to feel guarded by, protected, and, and, and entrenched in? And, and if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. And you are worshiping an idol. And that's not of God. And the unfortunate reality is you're going to find that idols make lousy gods. And as you worship it, it's going to end up being your demise. So he says, teach them and encourage them these things. That just because someone's a smooth talker doesn't mean they're a good pastor. Just because you desire something doesn't mean you should go for it. And he comes back around and says, okay, so how should we live then? First Timothy 6, 6-7. through 7. All that was the introduction. You ready for the real message? Here we go. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. Don't worry, it's still not long. Here's what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and could take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I love the word with there. Because the word words with is so freeing. Have you ever noticed little words are important? Right? Godliness with contentment. It implies that you can have godliness without contentment. And in other words, it's okay to not be okay. Are you not content today? You had a bad day? Good. That's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to, to live your life uncontent. It's not okay to live your life miserable like Eeyore that says, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Who wants that God? But godliness, the pursuit of the character, the nature, the essence of who he is and who he's made us to be with and to dwell with, with contentment is where we'll find peace. What does that look like? Worship. It's when we rest in the presence of of God. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. If we are not content, what are you tempted by? 
What's the upgrade that you sit there and you, you buy into? What's your fool's gold? Is it the next promotion? If I can only get the next promotion, I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. If you're not content now, the next promotion will not help you. Is it the next friend? Sometimes they're like, if I only had one more friend. If you're not content now, that friendship won't make you content. The only thing that we can strive after is the presence of Jesus. Because the truth is, temptation will steer you away from the truth. And the truth is, Christ is all you really need. So what are your temptations? Having a baby? What are your temptations? Your relationship status, friends, fame, money. Being thought of as holy and righteous. I struggle with this too. And I'm a pastor. You know, I really sometimes like it when you go, Daniel, that was a great sermon. (laughs) But I don't want to like it. Because I don't want it to go to my head. Does that make sense? There's times I'll walk off all the stage and I'll go, boy, I don't know if that was good. And somebody will say just the right words. And you'll go, boy, that was really impacted my life. And I'll go, thank you, Lord, because you used me. And there's times, sometimes people will go, here's how you messed up, pastor. And I'll have thought I did a great job. But God uses even you. Some of you know who you are. (laughs) To steer me and guide me in a direction that makes this not about Daniel Barry. So here's what I want to ask you because this is part one. I want to give you something to wrestle with this week. And we're about to wrap this up so quick. I want you to wrestle with this this week. This may be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. I want you to wrestle with this question. What in your life are you worshiping that you shouldn't? In other words, what are you chasing after? Because hear me, you need to have the expectations. You need to have the goal. You need to have, it's okay to, to, to work and to, to want to go places. Don't be lazy. But you can't strive after things to make you happy because that won't work. So what are you cuddling up with? And how do you know if it's of God or not? Here's what I want to ask. This is from a 2016 sermon. I'm going to throw this up there on the screen. Three questions regarding how you handle wealth. First of all, I asked you to ask, when you're regarding wealth, how is it acquired? Did you require your health? Acquire, not require. Did you acquire your wealth, your money, your resources in an ethical way? If not, that's, that's a warning sign right there. You shouldn't do it, right? Second, how will you use it? Are you using the glory of God in it? Are you, are you using your wealth to help others? Are you using your wealth thinking of other people? Or is it only about you and making you feel safe? And to whom are you accountable? That's the one we don't like. I don't want to be accountable, right? Don't make me accountable. Well, you're not going to like that because that's from 2016. So I, I, I made these same kind of questions for this week. And this is what I want you to wrestle with. Here's the Monday morning application for this week. Know why you want to upgrade. So take the desire in your heart for the promotion. Take the desire in your heart for that relationship. Take the desire in your heart for whatever it is. You know what it is. The the, the temptation to cuddle up with. The temptation for fame. The temptation for glory. The temptation for elevating yourself. Know what that is and ask yourself, why do you want it? Do you want the promotion because you can help more people know about God? Or do you want the promotion because it's about you? Do you want the friendship because there's a a longing in your life to have that relationship to help you grow? Or is it you want it because, well, you want to replace it with God? How are you going to use it? Are you going to replace that friendship with more time with God? I no longer have time for God because I have too many friends. 
That makes sense? And third, to whom are you accountable? We don't want to be accountable. And I understand it. We try to do accountability around here. I'm the lead pastor of this church. And you know what I did a few weeks ago? I allowed and asked Christina, who is now taking over some of the administration stuff, to be my supervisor for my vacation days. Some of you are like, why did you do that? Because I'm crazy, kids. Crazy. No, I did it because we all need accountability. We all need accountability. And if you don't want accountability, then what you're really thinking is, I can control my life, and your life isn't really yours to control. It belongs to God. So who are you accountable to in your decisions? Who are you talking to? Who's that best friend? Who's that, that spouse? Who is that, that friend who isn't a spouse? Who is that, that minister, that older mentor? Who is that younger person that you're pouring into? Who is holding you accountable to the, the decisions and the questions you make? We keep office hours around here. You know why? Because there are some pastors who work only Sunday. And that joke gets old real quick. So don't say it anymore. It's not funny. That was supposed to be a joke. Y'all didn't laugh. Okay. <laughs> But seriously, don't say it anymore, okay? I do work. We do work. But the reason we work is because people need to worship God. And so here's what I, I want you to do is wrestle with this this week. Get along with yourself. Get, al- get along with your spouse. If you have a family, ask these questions. What are our family's priorities? And, and really try to break through and ask yourself those questions. Why do we want to do this? How are we going to use it? Are we using it for the glory of God? Or is it trying to replace a vacuum in our life? And to whom are we being accountable? And then I want you to wrestle with this thing and wrestle with this truth. If you aren't content without the upgrade you're longing for, and I want you to realize you'll never be content enough with it. Because the only upgrade that is worth it is the upgrade to a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because that's what you were made for. You see, we worship God because from the beginning of time, God looked down and he had a unique relationship with us and for us. And since Adam and Eve were in the garden, the point of it was to glorify God. And God doesn't look down on us and and say, hey, I want you to be these ants going around this world. Just God made us to be in relationship with him. And you and I were made with dignity. But somewhere along the way, our dignity was replaced with depravity. When we started living for ourselves, we turned ourselves into an idol. And in doing so, we separated ourselves from the holiness and the presence of God. But in that presence of God, God looked down and he said, I I don't want you to to live this way. And so the Father sent his son Jesus to live a life for us and to not just come and save us, but to, to have a relationship with us. And so the Bible says, if anyone believes that he was crucified on the cross and that he was buried and raised from the dead and is willing to follow him, then you can be saved. If you've never received this salvation, it's an invitation to you. That this is the upgrade you were made for. And next week we're going to talk about priorities and how to make sure that Christ maintains our priority. Because the good news is the rest of this life is a struggle. But Jesus. Because it will be hard. There will be arguments. There will be disputes. There will be loss of job. There will be cancer. There will be miscarriages. There will be struggles. But God has not abandoned us. And so what you're looking for in this life is probably sometimes I want an escape from the sin of this world. 
And there's only one escape from that. His name is Jesus. So give your burdens to him. Wrestle with it this week. You can't control other people, but you can control you. And realize God loves you. Where? Right where you are. No matter what you've done, no matter how you came in. And rest in him. I'm excited about the series. I'm excited about next week. But I think you need to do your homework so you can come back next week ready to go. Because next week's message is one that's really going to push us to the next envelope of really, I'm going to live my life for him. But don't worry. We're going to do it one step at a time. No one runs a marathon after running one lap. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to do it together. So God, help us to chase after you. God, if there's anyone in this room who needs to give their lives to you, I pray for the boldness and the courage to do that. That they would follow you with every fiber of their being. God, help them to have the courage to, at the end of the service, to go to that next step space right by the front doors and to say, I want to know Jesus. God, for those who need to follow through in baptism, give them the courage to do that. God, help us to be the church that isn't consumed with anything but worshiping you with our lives, with our hearts, with our minds, with our souls. And God, remind us of who you are, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the protector, the provider, the source of hope, strength, the banner over us, our judge, our ally. The name that is above every other name, the name at which one day every knee will bow, our rescuer. Father, you are all in all and through all. And we want to worship you. So God, with every breath that we breathe, let it be Jesus. Amen.